Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. have to find somebody that's honest that when, it dis- when we prove that the sage and the oregano kill the Lyme bacteria, they won't do this to us. Uh, I'm speechless. I'm sorry. I'm speechless <laughs> because I'm like, you well, know, you know, I have more proof of this yeah, in a different way. Some kind of a funny guy. I think he wanted to make money, but he was working as a bit of a consultant for me. He called me up and said, "We got to do something about anthrax." You know, it was when those, these anthrax letters went out. I said, "I'm not so convinced. I've never seen a case of anthrax. We got to do something." <laughs> so I said, "Well." <laughs> did, said, did, let me did, call did my lab. Did he say it in that tone, doctor? Yeah. So they sent, believe it or not, the lab was able to get weaponized anthrax from the, from the Pentagon. You need believe this? I sent the formula, which is this oregoresp. It's a cinnamon, oregano, sage, and uh, I don't know, cinnamon, oregano, sage. I sent the formula... They tested it against the, the anthrax. They tested the oregano oil against the weaponized anthrax. They called me up and said, you won't believe this, but it was effective. We haven't sent the data yet. And, and, and it actually it stopped the weaponized anthrax from growing to a large degree. The oregano oil partly, the combination more thoroughly. So guess what happens? What, what? The, the, uh, the Pentagon... The Pentagon gets wind of it. Now, how could they get wind of it? The lab contacted the Pentagon. They're not supposed to do that. The Pentagon then contacted the researchers, my researchers. Then all of a sudden, Dick Cheney makes a phone call. You see? And it just screwed up the whole thing. Dick Cheney wanted to buy oregano oil. Honest to God, he tried to buy a tanker car full from us. That's a true story. Wow. So well, nobody responded to Dick Cheney because everybody knows how, what he is, and nobody responded. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out to my garden, and I'm going to get my oregano. But let me tell you what happened. I'm going to tell you something happened. After Dick Cheney didn't get any response, now I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. I don't think he's a good guy. After that happened, the company got hit with an attempt to close them down with a $10 million fine Wow! by the FTC. They ended up settling the case to get it off their back. Wow. That all happened in a one-year period. Wow. So, well, did wow. you didn't expect that to go out on radio, but it is. So. Well, no, I mean, but here's the thing. I mean, it's so... <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't know if I have a right to say this because I just, but I'm going to say it anyway. But you know, we we our corruption is corruption. I don't care where it is. I don't care how it. People are naive to the fact that there has been corruption with us at a major level forever, mm-hmm. forever. And uh, I, I I tell people it's always been there, but we refuse to acknowledge it. We do. 
because yeah. we want to we we call we call people who are who talk about it we call them conspiracy theorists we call them you know just wild names but the truth of the matter yeah. is, the truth of the matter is folks does anybody deny that the mafia existed back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Oh, yeah. They does had anybody, to control I, that. Yeah. Does anybody deny that? I don't think anybody denies that. No. Right? Well, let me, and, and, let and me yet, say that, that yeah. the problem is that it's all big business, you see. There's no right. government. Governments depend beholden on military-industrial complex and other factors. So, and, that, and that's what we don't want to believe. We don't want to buy into the fact that our government would be corrupt enough to want to kill its own citizens or want to eliminate this quote-unquote eliminate their own soldiers or eliminate yeah the soldiers have taken a hit with the vaccines and the toxins and depleted uranium yeah yeah if you don't want people to talk what do you do what did the mafia well, do? apparently apparently you, you you take them down either by <laughs> that's know. exactly that's yeah. exactly what you do if you can't get them for killing people you get them you get them for yeah. tax evasion right that's what you do you, you, well you, that's right that's right yeah. i mean so I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but at the same time, I don't want to be naive enough to go, look, folks, we've, been, we, we've lived in this world long enough to know that corruption has been around us on a major level, major level. You know, I'm going to tell you one more thing, guys, because you, you get the whole story in the show. Okay, so I got sick with a condition before I got the law, and I was able to recover because that's how the oregano oil got discovered. You can see the picture on my website. I'm almost embarrassed to put it up, but I look like a concentration camp victim. And it was weird. It was a divine providence. It was meant to be. You know, I'm not a fate person, but it was meant to be somehow so we could grow together and make the discovery about the power of the wild oregano oil because nobody knew about it. So I got this condition from an IV needle. It was AIDS-like, and the guy died. He had Kaposi sarcoma. The needle came from him. He was a gay guy back in 1988, AIDS-type of era. And uh, he dies, and I thought, well, I'm going to probably die too after the way I started to feel. And, um, you know, I fought it, and it was the oregano oil that cured me. Nothing else worked, by the way. So finally I got cured. I went, decided to go back into practice. I'd quit my practice because I was too sick to caretake at that point. Uh, I saw Dick's mothers. These are things that happen. We don't have control over it. He was my first patient. Had fun with him. We worked with him and got him on the right road. And then uh, uh, the second or third patient went pretty good, and I decided well, pretty soon I'll have, go, go from the house to a clinic. I was staying with a friend. The third patient I was very suspicious of. But I decided, you know, if I'm going to be seeing famous people, I can't deny anybody care. But she acted really weird, and she demanded that I she demanded that I do all this expensive, not you know, somewhat expensive testing on her children. And and I said, you know, you got a one year old, you got a three and a five. You're wanting me to do these tests. I'm not doing them. I'm not going to do them. Those are expensive tests, and they're also not indicated at that age, and it's a waste of your money, and, and I'm not going to do it. So then, then I want you to test me then with, with this profile. I'm breastfeeding. Okay. All right. I'll do it. She shows up at the lab with her husband. He gets to get the test, too. I didn't order the test for him, I thought. I, but he's here. So, God, this woman, is she trouble or something? I better just... So I made an emotional re reaction... 
I decided to go ahead and run the test. It comes to $2,000, 1000 per patient. It's not a lot of money. You know, What's it, what does a heart surgeon get? <laughs> right. So I tried to collect the money. I went through the results and everything. The food allergy test is expensive one. That was most of it at 500 and the rest was miscellaneous tests and consultation. And she's, I'm turning you over to the medical board for fraud, for collusion, for bilking patients, for overcharging, and for conspiracy. Um, mm. And I thought to myself, oh, no. Mm. No patient ever would say that. Mm. Oh, no. And you can look it up on the Internet. It's all over for my enemies. He was disciplined. He was tried to do this. And it, they set me up with a private investigator. Mm. We we know for sure the woman now was a PI, working for the federal government at the state level. Mm. So I'm looking at myself in the mirror after all this, and I fought it for two and a half years. It cost a quarter of a million dollars, and I, I'm looking at myself. I'm sick. I'm drawn out. I'm in debt. And it was decided. I got it down from 33 counts to one count, by the way. Mm. The one count itself was a fraud. And here's what they said when we when we when we got it to the conclusion. He has to he has to agree to this one, and he has to pay a fine because it will look bad to the government if they see how much money we spent prosecuting him if we don't get something out of it. Exact words of their prosecutor. Oh, I gave up. I said, take your license and stuff it. And then that opened up, you know. But I'm looking at myself, 12 years of my life gone, you know? Right. Well. And, but I didn't know it would lead to the oregano oil and my books and the media. and So that's my story. That's I, awesome. I didn't take a negative point. I just, you know, I went forward. That, that, that's awesome. And, and I'm, I, I think this is a great way to close our interview because this is – what a great story. And folks, you got this is we're talking to Dr. Cass Ingram here on the Jiggy Jaguar show here on iHeartRadio. And Dr. Ingram has a phenomenal book, Lyme Disease Cure, The Lyme Disease Cure, his personal experience. Go to CassIngram.com to buy the book. That's C A S S I N G R A M dot com. Go to CassIngram.com. Check out the book. I, I think first of all you're gonna read not just about curing it, but and, and not just about what the disease can do, but you're also going to get some really interesting insights into the world that we don't talk about or want to talk about. That's right. About. Like and the lab I told you about. It's in the book, the, <laughs> trying to trace the source of the, the Lyme. Yeah so, so. yeah, so if you want a little bit of, if you want, if you're not just interested in health and better health and natural health, and his story, which is an amazing story, but if you also want a little mystery and intrigue, why don't yeah. you go? Why don't you go? Yeah, huh? What do you think of that, yep. Doctor Ingram? Why don't you go buy the? Why don't you go buy the book, "The Lyme Disease Cure" by Doctor Cassinger? Doctor Ingram, I want to say thank you so much. Thank for, you so yes. much, and uh, exclusive I'm, I'm, to Jiggy Jaguar Show. You yes, got it all, indeed. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm telling tell you, the very next thing I'm going to do is when I hang up this phone from Jiggy. Here I am going to my garden. I am getting my oregano in my time. <laughs> I am getting a bottle. Of, I'm getting my finest extra virgin Italian olive oil, and I'm about to do some infusing. That's and I shall do. never have a reaction again. Look and what we learned today. <laughs> I, ah, I, I, hey, listen, I'm excited, brother. I'm excited about this, Doctor Ingram. I am. Uh. Um, I, because while everything else has gone down, 
and my itching isn't like it was, and I could tell I'm getting on the I'm on the backside of it. I just want it to go away. So try I, that, try that, and let's talk and see how you got along. Yeah, I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be doing my drops of oil underneath my tongue. I'm gonna do them often, and if I have to, I'll just drink the olive oil right out of the bottle. The That's right. That's <laughs> right. I'm gonna get you some of my stock, and you guys will we'll talk about. We'll do a double blind study. We'll close our eyes and take an herb. I love it. I think it sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, right, Doc. Bye, Thanks bye. for your time. Have a great day. Thank you, Doctor. And uh, Doctor Izzo, I will. Yeah. Uh, I guess talk to you next week. <laughs> I guess we're going to talk. Hey, this was kind of unexpected. I it was. It was unexpected. I had forgot. I had booked do- uh, Doctor Ingram, and uh, okay. when he called, I thought, well, we'll just we'll just stick the two doctors together and see what happens. Well, as it as it turned out, it turned out pretty well. I think, don't you believe? Oh yeah, I think and it, he I think was actually... he was he was fantastic. He is uh, he, he was... is always uh, pretty pretty amazing. He's pretty entertaining, isn't he? And and here's the other thing about him. I, I mean, okay, this isn't like this isn't like your normal family doctor, right? I mean, the guy is like he tells it, he tells it, he calls it the way he sees it, and he tells it like it is, and. That you're going to get that, and I and and here's the thing. You got to dig that, right? I mean, you've got to like that. Well, yeah, a, don't you? I mean, he got me. He got me fired up because I'm like going, heck yeah, I'll take my oregano and my thyme and I'll put it in some. <laughs> oil. I've got nothing to lose here. <laughs> if it stops the itching and the whole thing, dude, I'm going to be I'm going to be the, one of the first people to call you back on the phone and go, hey. This thing works, and it works really, really well. I mean, I'll be the, I'll be the first, I'll be the first one to do it. And what a cool dude, man! He was yeah, cool. He, uh, I really liked him. He's, he's I, something I, else. I, I could have talked to him for a long, and I, you know, I normally when I talk to an author, I like to ask them about their writing experience. But dude, yeah. I didn't even want to talk about the writing experience. I thought this whole thing on GMOs and Lyme disease and everything was just fascinating. He's, right? he's pretty amazing. He's pretty amazing. It's pretty pretty fascinating. Hey, by the way, I just want to compliment you on your Facebook Live stuff that you did there on uh, KJAG Radio. Yes. When you were recording. When we, when, we, you... when we were out with the rappers on uh, yeah, Tuesday night. Were. Yeah, that was really cool. You know, you your, um, your Facebook Lives are getting better and better and better and better every time I watch them. Really, truth is. Well, we're going to really be are. at the uh, my, myself, Mr. Nagy, and uh, Mr. Derek Scaife are going to be at the gathering of the Juggalos on Saturday. And if I can get a uh, if I can get reception in Oklahoma, um, <laughs> we will uh, we will do we will what, do. What's so unique about Oklahoma? Well, I, I don't know. It's it, this building that they're going to be in. Who knows? If I'm going to be able to get reception or not, because it's gathering the juggalos and they're all clowns, and it's just you know, it's it's the whole insane clown posse uh, phenomena. So I gotcha. Well, anyway, I just want to just tell you that's great, and you know, and I, I think it's great and it's fun, and you know, people respond to you so well, they really, really do. I mean, you know, you, I mean, you, I, you wouldn't know this. If you know, I don't. I don't know. If people look at your picture or not, but James does not look like the guy who a a rapper, a typical rapper, would respond. I was. Open. I have been told that on uh, on several occasions by uh, people who are not fans of mine. They're like, "What is this white guy interviewing rappers for?" Right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. but it's not that. It's just that they respond to you so well. I mean, you know. I mean, it's like okay, the, the dichotomy makes no sense. 
but they really dig you, man. I mean, they 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 really really they they give you an honest look at themselves. You get them to respond openly and honestly. I think it's that's it's really 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 cool uh, what you've been able to accomplish and do in that thing in that realm. That's I just don't think it's an easy thing to do, but you pull it off so well. It's it's amazing. I think you do an amazing job. With By that, the way, so. since we are in the middle of this hour, do you have a little bit of time to hang out for the rest of the hour, or you need to? Um, I need to road. be gone at least in the next twelve minutes. Ah, I, okay. I got to the bottom of the hour. I can I can hang with you to the bottom of the hour. Okay. Well, hold on. I'm going to call our our next guest, and then I'll call you right back on Skype. All right, sounds great. All right, brother. We are going to call Michelle Minton because she is uh, patiently waiting uh, for us. She is uh, fantastic. She is absolutely amazing. And uh, I'm glad we were able to get her back on today. We are going to call Michelle Minton. And then we will bring in Mr. Jay Izzo from Got Social Mediology. I believe Michelle Minton is not there. Hello, it's There's Michelle. Michelle. How are you? It's uh, James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. Michelle Minton with us today. We are going to add Jay Izzo to our mix here, and we're going to talk about uh, all sorts of issues today. Uh, I think Jay Izzo's back with us. How are you, sir? There he is. We've got uh, Michelle Minton with us today. She's our next guest on our uh, big broadcast here. The GOP establishment is looking to ban online gambling this summer. Why the hell is this a priority? And Michelle Minton is with us today. She is the uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute's fellow specializing in consumer policy, covering regulatory issues that include gambling, alcohol, and food. And uh, she joins us here on Skype Audio, as well as Jay Izzo. And, uh, Michelle, let's start here. Why is online gambling such a, um, I guess, a, a big deal for this uh, for the GOP? Well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, I'd say that the reason it's a big deal is because of money. Uh, a very large GOP donor happens to also own casinos all over the world. Uh, in Las Vegas, uh, some people might recognize his name, Sheldon Allison. And he does not want online gambling to compete with his brick-and-mortar casino. So he's been pushing some of his friends in Congress to try and create a federal online gambling ban, even though several states have already legalized it. Uh, they've had it for four years or more, and they've been doing a great job. Hi, Michelle. This is Jay Izzo. And I, this, this is a topic that's kind of uh, near and dear to my heart because I, as I'm a fantasy football player. Right, and one of the mm-hmm. things that has come up here recently has been uh, there we are fantasy football, pay for fantasy football sites like that that are out there now where people they they're trying to consider them gambling and they're trying to shut them down, and I've got to believe that this is all a result of simply people who are who own these casinos just are trying to eliminate competition in any possible way that they can. And yet I have a number of friends who play these online, love to play these online uh, fantasy sports uh, types of games. So is, is this all part of that, too? Not really, actually. So uh, fantasy uh, sports, daily fantasy sports, really kind of came out of nowhere for people. They didn't know what to think of it. A lot of states weren't sure if it's gambling, not gambling. 
What's going on right now is um, a lot of people, including myself and many of the casino owners, are trying to get the federal government to repeal its federal ban on sports gambling, which it prevents the states from legalizing sports gambling. So, you know, if, if DFS, Daily Fantasy Sports, were to be considered gambling, it would put it in this really weird, uh, potentially illegal category because, you know, only Nevada uh, really is allowed to have gambling on sports. So, you know, I think one of the reasons people don't want it to be considered gambling is because it puts it in a very weird, gray legal area that might get it caught up uh, with some of the federal stuff. But, you know, the casinos, the people who are, have the interest, they are, for the most part, trying to legalize sports gambling. It's actually the, the sports leagues, like the NFL and especially the NCAA, huh. they're the ones who are trying to maintain these uh, sports bans. So what, what type of gambling, if you can help our listeners out here, what type of gambling are we talking about here that they're that they're trying to block or stop, right? So this is just online casino style games. So in 2011, um, a couple of states, Illinois and New York, wrote a letter to the Department of Justice saying that they, they frankly, they were confused about the federal laws. There's a couple that mentioned gambling. Uh, they weren't sure if if they'd be allowed to just put their lotteries online and only offer it to people within their state. And after two years of thinking about it, the uh, Department of Justice, specifically the Office of Legal Counsel, which is the highest um, uh, segment within the Department of Justice, they said, no, uh, as long as it doesn't have anything to do with sports gambling, you are free to offer gambling online to people within your state. You know, it has to stay inside of your state borders, but otherwise you're allowed to do it. And then this kind of, you know, opened the doors for all the, all the states who wanted to get into online gambling, and not just lotteries, but online poker, online roulette, online blackjack, whatever they wanted to do, uh, to go and try and get their state to legalize it, to try and get a license. And like I said, you have three states that have um, casino-style games online, Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey, and you've got quite a few others who have their lottery tickets online. And like I said, people, well, one person in particular really does not want the competition, and he's been getting his Republican friends in Congress to spout all kinds of different justifications for why they want to create the ban. Uh, they say they want to protect children. They want to protect states' rights to decide whether or not they want to have online gambling because they attest that uh, you can't stop the Internet. If New Jersey has it, then Utah citizens are just going to be able to access it. Um, mm. And what we've seen over the last four years is that hasn't happened. That, uh, and trust me, Shell Donaldson has billions of dollars. I'm sure they are trying every day to find <laughs> loophole, you know, to, to access these websites and show that they're dangerous and evil, and they haven't been able to. That is so funny. We're talking to Michelle Minton here on the Jiggy Jaguar show on iHeartRadio. Michelle, that's hilarious. I love it. The first thing that they say, whenever when everybody, somebody wants to attack something or they want to shut something down, what is the first kids. narrative? It's all the, the first sure narrative. It was for the children. <laughs> it's the first. It, it's, like a, it's like they have, everybody has the same playbook. We've got to protect oh, the yeah. children. Let's protect the children. Yeah, and if you don't agree, if you don't agree with them, you're a child hater. You're a child murderer or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it is the biggest phoniest lie I've ever heard in my life. Is that the first thing? Well, we're doing this because we're trying to protect the children. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're, no, you want this regulated because you've made all your money. You want to still make money, and you don't want anybody else in it. That's really the truth. And it probably does in reality. And I don't know what the numbers are. And I think what you said is is not true. But it probably does scare Vegas in general. Right, because if I can do all my gambling in online, I don't have to go to Vegas. But but what you're saying is that that's not necessarily true, right? The numbers in Vegas. No, they love it. 
I mean, they want uh, Caesars, MGM, they all want online gambling because they recognize that millennials uh, have a lot less attention spans. We don't necessarily want to fly out to Vegas for a weekend or a week. We just want to play some poker, maybe a couple hands of blackjack, and then go back to what we're doing. Uh, And a lot of these casinos in Vegas have casinos around the country. You know, they're not just limited to Nevada. So they, and it opens up a whole market for them. They don't have to wait for people to come to Vegas. They can get players in Ohio or New Jersey or wherever. You, you know what? You make a really great point, Michelle, here. What people don't understand about the uh, younger generations that come up, I and mean, by the way, this is just all part of our conditioning, but they don't want to spend a week somewhere. They want to spend an hour tops doing something and then move on to the next thing or move on to what they want to do. They don't want to they don't want to be forced to be locked in somewhere, and, and that's just not the, what they want to do. People, the older generation, wanted to go to a week in Vegas and or 10 days or whatever, and they want to just hang there and be there the whole time. That's not what the younger generation wants to do. They want to play the game, want to play it for a while, and then they want to get out. What I find interesting is as I look at – as I am as I'm online and I do what I do because I – I have a my my also na- other name is the Internet Doctor, and I studied the psychology of the consumer. And one of the things I'm I've noticed is like Microsoft, for instance, has their Microsoft Store, and they will put advertisements whenever you play like a a game of solitaire or something like that. They'll put these advertisements, and guess what they're advertising? It's Harrah's, MGM, and all these other casinos, and you can play slots. And you can play slots. Now, they're free, but the whole point is that they are trying to get these millennials with their games in these advertisements to play these slots games, to play these online blackjack games, so that they can get them either over there or get them to play online. And I find it really, really interesting because I can see how even the advertising is geared at the millennial generation and the younger generation. So it's really interesting that we're, we're, I'm seeing this whole thing of we're trying to advertise there, but at the same time we're trying to block it. So I, I'm trying to get there's there's a lot of confusion. I think it's mixed messages. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I mean that's really fun because no one's going to go to Vegas if they've never gambled before. You know, they're not just like, why would they make what that choice for their vacation to go to Vegas if they don't know if they like gambling or not? It is a really clever way to get people kind of enticed and say, well, I make a ton of fake money at this. Maybe I can actually make some real money if they play online and then. You know, they're more excited about going to Vegas if they're going to be there. So so it, would, let's talk about another piece, and, and now I'm going to put on my psychology professional hat, right? and I want to ask you about this. So what do we know about the addictiveness of any of this? Is there anything that you've been able to find in your study or research in terms of – because gambling addiction is a real thing. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. it uh, and have you? Is there any difference between online gambling addiction or versus actually being in the casino? Right. So there's a there's an addiction specialist at Harvard named Howard Schaefer, and he's been doing a ton of work on this over the last uh, five to ten years, studying online gambling uh, and offline gambling. And he has hundreds of thousands of data points on this. And and the conclusions that he's come to is that online gambling is no more addictive than. Uh, you know, real life gambling, and in, in some ways, it actually may be less addictive because you know you're not being served free drinks, you're not in a clockless zone. You can see your clock, you have access to other things. So, you, like like I said, a millennial can play a couple hands and then go watch something on Netflix. Whereas you're in a casino, you're in a casino. It's a lot harder to just walk out and go do something else. 
Um, yeah, and the, the rate of addiction in this country around the world really has pretty much remained stable since the 70s uh, at, at around 1%, even though there's been a huge explosion in access to different types of gambling. And one of the facts that I found most interesting was that people who ultimately are diagnosed with a gambling disorder, with problem gambling, they usually start out with other kinds of addiction first, alcohol, drugs, something like that. So, I mean, to me that says that gambling addiction is just part of another, you know, it's another facet of someone with an addictive personality disorder. Uh, so it's just, if, you, if it's not gambling, it's going to be something else. I so, uh, by the way, we're talking to Michelle, man, I am so glad you said that. I am, re- I really am. Because people don't understand the way that, you know, like, <laughs> I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and of course we have a lottery here. And they, the way they do the lottery and the, the commercials and stuff that they do the lottery here, it would seem that 50% of the people have a gambling addiction. Right, and it's it's never been that way. By the way, folks, ever it's always been around one percent. It's always been around one percent mm-hmm. forever. That's the way it has been, and and yet you would you would want to believe based on the commercials that you 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 have to be so careful because you're going to be a gambling addict and it's over for you. That's how careful we have to be, and I, it's hard to get to get to people's head that you're exactly right. If you, it, the people who have a gambling addiction usually have addiction to something else, mm-hmm. and first it is the alcohol, it is the drugs, it, it could be a number of other things, but it's really the person. And so, so often, and I hate, and people hate it when I say this, but so often we manage to an exception, don't we? And oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, the government's doing that right now with this, right? I mean, what they're trying to do is they're managing to an exception. They're not managing to the general class. So what's going to be, what, what do you think is ultimately going to happen? What do you think the solution is going to be? I think that more states are going to legalize online gambling. I don't think this latest attempt is going to go anywhere uh, in, in terms to ban it. And I think more states like Pennsylvania uh, and California are going to legalize it. And then the efforts to ban it will just be useless at that point because there's too much money. There's too many constituents. There's too many representatives in Congress fighting against it. Uh, so it's inevitable, I believe, that online gambling is here to stay. And the, the, the really important thing is that it's always been around. Since the Internet was in people's homes, people were gambling online on the Internet. Uh, because gambling sort of in our nature, and the Internet is all over the world, uh, you can't really – it's the same with alcohol prohibition. If people want something, there's always going to be someone willing to give it to them, whether it's legal or not, and make money off of it. So right. when you ban things, all you do is push it underground force people into a black market to deal with criminals where, they, you know, if they get defrauded or something or cheated, they can't even go to the, uh, you know, authorities to get help, which is what their job is supposed to be, not telling people what to do. Yeah, and, and I don't know if this is part of it or not, so help me help me decipher this because I don't know this for a fact or not, but I've had friends who have done this online Texas Hold'em stuff mm-hmm. where they're playing for real money and it got all shut down. Do you know anything about this? Mm-hmm. That they yeah, that was Black Friday. Yeah, right. So a lot of people are still really upset about this. They blame the company itself, Full Tilt. They blame the company for stealing their money, uh, creating this pyramid scheme, and, and the government really liked to say that's what it was doing. But what happened was they were running a business. They had an online poker room that was fabulous. Loads of millions of people around the world played on it. It was really fun. They were giving people their money back. They were, you know, everything was working out well. And then in 2006, the government passed this really strange law called uh, the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act. And what it said was that banks couldn't process payments related to unlawful Internet gambling, but it didn't say what that meant. So banks all of a sudden just closed off. They, they wouldn't 
uh, process any transactions related to any kind of online gambling, and that put Full Tilt in a really weird position. So they had customers all over the world, including Americans, uh, but they couldn't really take the Americans' money. Uh, they couldn't send and receive money from Americans. So what they tried to do was use the money from other people as it came in to pay out Americans. It's really weird. Uh, and then a couple years later, the Department of Justice, you know, so what, what you have basically is a, a bank with money, uh, and, and they have enough to give people as long as there's new money coming in. But if there's a run on the bank and they don't have exactly the same amount of money, you know, they're going to be in trouble. And that's what happened with Full Tilt. The Department of Justice, you know, slapped them with a lawsuit and shut them down, and everybody wanted their money all of a sudden, and they didn't have all of it. So it took them a couple of years, really, after paying off the American government and lots of other people. Uh, it took them a couple of years to give the players the money that was in their accounts. And people blamed the company instead of the American government, which I say they orchestrated it. So it was like, you know, that old bully trick where someone kneels down behind someone else and then the other guy pushes him over. <laughs> That's basically what they did to this company. With one law, they knelt down behind him and then the department just shoved him over and everyone blamed the company. But that, that wouldn't happen today with licensed casinos because, right. you know, it's licensed, it's regulated. The banks know that it's, it's not unlawful internet gambling. It's lawful. So they process payments. Uh, and these companies have... In New Jersey, for example, they have laws about how much money they have to keep on hand in order to, in order to pay people out, uh, and they have to adhere to all the same rules pretty much as a bank. You know, if someone comes right. in and starts dropping $10,000, they have to report that uh, through the Patriot Act to make sure that someone's not trying to launder money. Man, this thing. See, the more you talk about this, Michelle, the more I go, this thing is messy. It gets a little messier every time you start talking about it. It's like... It's just not so neat, neat and clean because it, it, now you got me thinking. Okay, well, what, how, how are we processing the money? How do they get the money back? How does that? How does that happen? Do they? Can they use a PayPal? Can they use a Square? I mean, how does that? How oh, does that right happen? now with with lawful gambling, with online gambling that's licensed and regulated in the U.S., uh, people can use their credit cards. It depends. You can use PayPal. You can use whatever. If you're playing in the um, illegal online market, it's a little bit harder. People, you know, they use Bitcoin or something else like that. But in a legal market, it is much safer. And, you know, Bitcoin's a little tricky. Uh, not, not a lot of people know what they're doing with that, so that, that can be kind of risky. Uh, it's one of the reasons that you want to operate on a legal market, so you can just use your credit card, and then your credit card company protects you if there's any kind of you know, data leaks or your money gets stolen or someone uses your card, whatever it is. It's, it's much better to be operating on a legal market for consumers than to be working in the black market generally. Wow. Uh, this is so cool. James. Yes. Um, I, I, this, th Michelle, thank you so much. I'm going to have to take off. James, I'm going to let you jump in here because this whole thing is absolutely fascinating to me because, you know, it, I'm, I was born in New Jersey, so I know much about New Jersey and their, their gambling issues. And I know that uh, Michelle, one of the casino owners in Atlantic City, was you know, fighting this whole thing about online gambling because he felt it was shutting part of the reason why Atlantic City is dying and, and is almost dead in terms of that. But I don't think any of that's true. And I think you're confirming that for me, that that's something completely different. It has nothing to do with online gambling. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Atlantic City posted its first uh, net positive uh, year last year. And uh, the analysis shows that it's pretty much because of online gambling. <laughs> so that... online gambling is starting to bring it back in a way, or at least it's keeping it from completely dying. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, the complaint was that if they allowed online gambling when it first when it was first started, they were complaining that it was going to kill, completely mm -hmm. destroy Atlantic City. And that's not true at all. 
Isn't that interesting? No, yeah, it didn't. It didn't cannibalize it. It just sort of engaged people who already wanted to gamble and allowed them to gamble uh, with more frequency if they wanted to, or easier if they wanted to. That is that's that's awesome, James. I'm gonna let you take over. I can yes, get on the show. It's been great, no it's been great t- chatting with you, and I'm looking forward to reading. And by the way, you can. Michelle is on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. She has uh, she does her blogs and publications all over. She is a regular guest on so many different news medias to discuss the effects of regulation on individuals' health and economic well-being. And she's just someone you got to listen to. She's got just a ton of knowledge. And she's fabulously warm and wonderful to listen to. And, Michelle, I can't thank you enough for allowing me to have time. I'm going to let James take over. I have to step away. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of your weekend, Michelle. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jay Izzo. And uh, before we let you go, Michelle, how do we get a hold of you online and uh, get, get get to know you more? Well, yeah, you can always check out my organization's website at CEI. Dot org, or you can follow me on Twitter, which is just my first and last name, Michelle Minton. Fantastic. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you making time for us today, and uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Yeah, anytime. Appreciate it. That is Michelle Minton with us today. She joins us live here in our broadcast. We are going to go to our next guest. We are going to try to fit in another guest here before Harvey Neiman calls us. Uh, Eric Peters is going to be with us here in just a few seconds. And uh, download our app, JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live, 24-7 replay, exclusive news and programming information, all available on our fantastic, fantastic app. And we are going to go to Eric Peters. He is going to be with us here in just a few seconds. And uh, we are going to chat with Hello. him. There's Eric Peters. How are you, Eric? Who's this? This is James Lowe from iHeartRadio. How are you? I'm good. Okay, I guess we're running a little bit late. Yes, we 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 were we were running behind, and uh, I, I apologize for that. We uh, we've got Eric Peters with us today. He's live as live can get on mm-hmm. Skype audio. And um, Eric, go ahead and uh, give our uh, fantastic audience an introduction on yourself, my friend. Well, I'm a car journalist, uh, and I began uh, just writing about cars, but uh, the more I wrote about them, the more I also encountered uh, government regulations and micromanagement of cars and uh, attempts to legislate uh, all the fun out of owning a car and uh, legislate ever more expense when it comes to driving a car. So uh, I began to look into policy and have been writing about policy in addition to writing uh, about the cars themselves for, I don't know, about 20-something years now. Yeah. We've got uh, Eric Peters with us today. He joins us live. How crony capitalism is killing mom-and-pop gas stations and making one ones rich. And uh, he's with us today. He's a contributor to The Spectator. LouRockwell.com, publisher. Uh, he's also an author of Road Hogs, Detroit's Big Beautiful Luxury Performance Cars in the 60s and the 70s. And he's a libertarian gearhead who writes about cars, and uh, he's with us today here on a broadcast. Now let's talk a little bit about this. This is an amazing, amazing topic. Give me your thoughts on it. Well, are you familiar with the renewable fuels mandate? Yes, yes. Okay, the ethanol thing. Yes, indeed. Okay, the, just for the you know for the benefit of your listeners, the federal government has mandated uh, that gasoline sold in this country contain a certain percentage of renewable fuels, and for all practical purposes, that means ethanol. That's the chief renewable that's used, and most of the fuel that people buy, uh, calling it gasoline, is actually kind of a misnomer because it's actually 10% ethanol and 90% gas, and anybody who sells gas has to sell this stuff. Um, now. 
there are multiple levels of crony capitalism involved here. Uh, the one that we're discussing has to do with the fact that these smaller operators, independent stations and so on, they don't have the ability to make this stuff themselves. So how do they comply with the federal mandate? Um, there's something called a RIN, which is uh, an acronym in Washington that stands for a Renewable ID Number. Have you heard about that? Uh, yes, but give us more details on this. Okay, the best way i found to explain this to people is via an analogy. Probably a lot of the people who are listening have heard about carbon credits. Do you know about carbon yes, credits? Yes, carbon credits. Yes, indeed. Okay, now when it comes to cars, let's say that you're a manufacturer of cars and you want to sell cars in a state like California. There are laws on the books in California that say before you can sell any conventional cars, you have to sell a certain number of zero-emissions cars. And the only vehicles that qualify under the zero-emission standard are electric cars. Well, what if you don't make an electric car? Well, you have the option to buy carbon credits from a company like Tesla, for example, that does make them. So these RINs work similarly, and they're leveraged by some of these big chain operators uh, to enhance their profits and enhance their bottom line. Uh, it's necessary to, to purchase these things, which are bought and sold, actually, like chits uh, on the market. Uh, and they can be manipulated and their prices jacked up uh, so as to squeeze the margin of the smaller independent operators. And that's essentially what's going on here. Um, for the smaller stations, a couple of cents per gallon, either way, uh, can mean all the difference between staying in business or not. Um, the big manufacturers have economies of scale going for them that the smaller or smaller sellers simply don't. Wow. Now, how, how, how did... How did this all get started? Because this just sounds like a, an, an amazing, amazing uh, thing here. Oh, this goes back all the way to the 80s. You may remember um, back then they introduced something called the oxygenated fuels requirement. Yes. Do you recall yes. that? Yes, indeed, yes. Well, and the theory behind that, it was kind of a crutch or a Band-Aid, and it did make some sense. The idea was that by introducing oxygenates, and one of the oxygenates was ethanol into gasoline, you would lean out the uh, air-fuel ratio that was being used by the, by the car's engine. Now, in those days, of course, cars did not have computers, and they generally had carburetors. So whatever fuel they were fed was what they would burn, and the carburetor couldn't self-adjust. Well, all cars built since the late 80s have computers and fuel injection, and they have the ability to sense the fuel. And if they're fed a lean fuel mixture like E10, which is lean relative to straight gas, they simply self-adjust. And one of the ironic consequences of that is that today's cars actually are less fuel efficient than they would be otherwise. Um, you might remember back in the 80s, it was fairly routine for cars back then to get 40 miles per gallon on the highway. Yes, I, I, and, I, re I remember that. I remember that very yeah, much. And, and, you know, they had carburetors and they had computers and they did not have some of the uh, amazing technology that is in, in, in cars today. But what they did have uh, was 100% gasoline and not ethanol. Um, you know, ethanol, a gallon of ethanol contains less energy than a gallon of gasoline. So when you use that, your car does not go as far as it would if you had a gallon of gas in the tank. So anyway, that's where it all began. And it just kind of got bigger and bigger and more money was involved. Uh, it's a huge, big business. Uh, here's a statistic that some of your readers might be shocked to hear about. Um, in the United States, 40% of the corn crop goes toward ethanol production. Wow. Not to feed people and not to feed the animals that feed people, but to ethanol. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. That is just absolutely amazing. 
We've so got anyway, this has become a, a just a huge, 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 huge money-making operation. And, you know, these big businesses have lobbyists, and they have the ability to bend the ear and twist the arm of people in Congress and, and get these mandates passed. And uh, in 2005, it got kicked up a little bit under Republicans, incidentally. And then in 2008, under Obama and the Democrats, it got kicked up again. And so here we are right now. Uh, with you know the mandate at historic levels and uh, the money that's being wasted is just appalling. We've got Eric Peters with us today. Joins us live here in our broadcast. Harvey Neiman coming up here in a few moments. And uh, EricPetersAutos.com is the official website for Eric. And uh, he started out writing about cars for mainstream media outlets such as Washington Times, Detroit News, Free Press, Investors Business Daily, and the American Spectator, among others. And uh, he's with us today here in our broadcast talking about how crony capitalism is killing mom and pop gas stations and making Big ones, rich, and uh, he joins us live now. Um, Eric, what 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 can people know and 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 get down? Uh, kind of break it down to the brass tacks here. Where do we need to go for more information? What what do we need to do about this? Uh, if people want to want to, you know, want to want to mobilize and get together about all this, how do they do this, my friend? Well, I think the overarching problem that we've got here is simply that Congress has abdicated its constitutional job to be the branch of government that writes the laws. We have a situation now where federal bureaucracies, like the EPA, which is the bureaucracy that's involved with these regulations, issue regulations that have the force and effect of laws. In effect, they become lawmaking bodies. Uh, you know, We're required to abide by whatever regulations come out of EPA, but we can't vote. Uh, for EPA bureaucrats or vote them out. They simply, once they get in there, they can pretty much do whatever they like. And Congress has made this situation happen. Uh, they have just sort of offloaded their responsibility to deal with the nuts and bolts of making law and, and turned it over to these bureaucracies. And I think that's, uh, that's something that's got to be changed. There has to be some accountability restored. And the only way to do that is for people to insist that their congressmen and their senators uh, be responsible for what goes on. And if they don't like what goes on, as in this case, uh, it should be something that's subject to voter accountability. Uh, federal uh, bureaucracies are not subject to voter accountability, and it's a major flaw with the way the government is operating today. It is a heck of a deal. And, uh, Eric, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. I apologize for getting to you a little late, but uh, you provided us some very, very interesting information. And if folks want to follow up, they can go to Eric's website, ericpetersautos.com, for more information, or E-P-A-U-T-O-S-A-N-D on Twitter. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you making time for us today. No problem, James. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Definitely. We'll talk to you soon. Eric Peters with us today, and uh, we are going to take a uh, brief timeout, probably about uh, 30 seconds, and uh, then we'll get Harvey Neiman in here. Hello, Here's everybody. This. I'm Kip Marlowe, author of The Entrepreneur's Success and Sacrifice. If you're interested in starting a business, growing your current one, or just need some inspiration, this is the book for you. Learn the secrets of success from entrepreneurs like Arlene Neen, who just started her seventh company at the age of 96. Order it at ecrsuccess.com or at Amazon and learn 22 stories of ordinary people who became wildly successful. It could change your life. The Jiggy Jaguar radio program continues. 
It is Harvey Neiman. He's going to join us here in a few moments here on our big broadcast. Coast to coast, border to border, tune in. iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and of course, a brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store. JiggyJaguar.us. You can stream the show live 24-7 replay, exclusive news and programming information. And Harvey Neiman will join us here on the telephone here in just a second. And uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with Harvey as he brings us uh, financial news and everything each and every week. CustomizeWallStreet.com is his official website. That's CustomizeWallStreet.com. And we go to the telephones and we bring in our good, close, personal, longtime friend, Mr. Harvey Neiman, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing fine. Talking to you from Southern California as usual, and the sun is out, slight breeze, and not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> well, it's the way we like it. Harvey Neiman with us right. today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. And uh, Harvey, what do you have for us today, my friend? Because you always bring us some of the most. Uh, entertaining and informative segments uh, on our broadcast throughout the week. What do you have for us today, Harvey? Well, let's look at uh, six months have gone by, and uh, President Trump has been in office, and now we're in the middle of the the year. Uh, Is the economy uh, doing worse or better off than the promises made by, uh, by Trump during the presidential campaign? Uh, are we uh, are we starting to see improvement or not? And so the topic of today's conversation really is how is our economy doing in general? Things that people, if you read the news, well, we don't read newspapers anymore, but we read Google and Yahoo, and if you keep up with the news and the Twitter and all that, we have a pretty good idea. Uh, uh, we have a pretty good idea across the country what's going on. So starting with well, uh, health care reform. Yes, yes. Uh, Let's start there, my friend. So uh, is it good going to be? Uh, is it going to be reformed, and will that help our economic recovery or not? And so that is the question that uh, we ask ourselves, and uh, I've thought about that a little bit. Are you interested in what I think? Yes, yes. Uh, Give us your thoughts here, Harvey. You're an expert. Give us the details. <laughs> well, you flatter me. I don't know that the uh, uh, the presidential administration thinks I'm an expert, but I, I do keep an eye on things. Uh, if all we do uh, is get the Congress to repeal what's there from the prior administration, uh, and it leaves behind, and the number is something where anywhere from 23 million to 33 million, depending which article you're reading on which day, without coverage, I don't see how that helps the economy if they just repeal it. And my recall of the campaign promise, which I'm relying on, is we're going to make a better health care program. And a better health care program does uh, uh, two things. It, 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 it uh, preserves the good things of the existing program, such as people with pre-existing conditions don't want to have to go through a rejection by insurance companies, health care providers. Uh, also, people who pay their own way and wish to pay for their own health care shouldn't have to be paying uh, into a fund that pays for other people's health care, at least that's the way a lot of people think, and their premiums shouldn't go up because we have a new health care plan. 
So that has to be good for the economy if it happens that way. But if it just repeals it, then I don't see that a lot of Americans are going to be happy. <laughs> so that that's the first question. Now, uh, now, Harvey, we've got Harvey Neiman with us today. He joins us live here in our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border, TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, Stitcher, and the brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store, JiggyJaguar.us. And um, Customized Wall Street is Harvey's official website. Go over there. Get more information on how you can uh, customize your financial future. Now, um we, we, we're, we're talking about uh, a myriad of topics this week. Uh, what, what do you have next on the docket there, my friend? You went out for a second, Juggy. What do you have next on the docket, Harvey? Harvey Neiman, what yeah. do you have next for us? So uh, interest rates are very important to people. If you have credit card debt, if you want to buy a home, you have a mortgage, uh, everyday life, uh, and the Federal Reserve, we always look at the Federal Reserve and seeing what they're doing with interest rates, and they recently, just in the last two days, issued a pronouncement of not raising interest rates this month. Some people thought they would because they already have done that twice this year already. So what does that mean for the Federal Reserve, the people who follow uh Janet Yellen is the chairperson. What do we foresee for the rest of the year on the federal bank, the central bank raising rates? And then, of course, how does that impact us on a daily basis? Uh, A bigger picture, uh, strangely enough, there's been pronouncements from the president. He may reappoint Janet Yellen. Now, maybe not everybody realizes who that individual is, but she's the chairperson of the Federal Reserve Board, and if she gets reappointed next year, 2018, to continue four more years, that's an endorsement that she's doing a good job in the eyes of administration and keeping our economy on a steady path. I kind of like that. I I don't get a vote, so it's not anything goes up for election, but that would mean we will have steady increases but not dramatic increases in interest rates over the next two and three and four years consistent with the current economic recovery. A smoothness at that level is very good for the American economy, especially in light of turmoil in many other countries around the world. We are a sign of stability. Do you agree with that, Jiggy? Yes, indeed. That, uh, I, I do agree with you on that. And uh, we've got Harvey Neiman with us today. Customize Wall Street. CustomizeWallStreet.com is the official website. And uh, uh, Harvey has a brand new book coming out here very soon. Um, Harvey, as, as we uh, kind of wrap up the segment here today, tell us how the book is doing, my friend. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.